uh, we uh, have come to, to, my family has come to know and love him and his family. And so thankful for you serving, Frazier. And we'll get to hear from other elders uh, as we move forward uh, in, in this little testimony time. Right now we're going to have the kids dismissed to Children's Church. So children, you can go. And um, I'm supposed to announce as well that um, uh, Matt Galorm has been working diligently. Uh, we have a cry room that's available. Um, I think that's for mothers, um, or you may just be crying, but uh, if you go down this hall, about halfway down this hall on the right, the main hall on the right, is a, a live stream, a TV, some uh, chairs, some rockers, uh, there's some coffee in there, so don't, it's for, you know, know the purpose, don't run just to get the coffee, but um, that room is available, so if at any point, we, we welcome noise in the sanctuary, uh, but if you feel like you need that time, or there's need to nurse or whatever, that, that room is available for you uh, in the hallway. Thank Mac DeLorme for that. Um, a, a couple of things as we, as we pray. Um, one of the reasons we, we felt the need to do that, and we should have done that a long time ago with that room, is we, we had ten, uh, ladies, ten, ladies pregnant, 10 ladies pregnant, and now uh, we've had three births, and we had one this past week. So Austin and Ann Chapman, uh, Ann gave birth to uh, Peter, uh, Chapman this week, and so we rejoice with the Chapmans uh, that they had uh, they had a healthy delivery, nine pounds, I think, one ounce, so big fella, and uh, they had they had that birth. So rejoice with them. Um, as a church, we uh, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. We also had two two deaths in the in the church in the church family. Pat, I didn't expect to see you here, but Pat Johnson's here on the front, and last weekend lost her brother, which is her last sibling, and so. Thank you for being here. We've been praying for you. We'll pray for you here in a moment as well. Um, as well as Bethany Wilson, who is our worship uh, director. Uh, her grandmother passed away, and so she is not here this weekend. She's in Chattanooga attending the service for, for, the, for her grandmother with her family. Uh, isn't that the Christian life, though? We, we hold these things together, right? We, we grieve and we rejoice. We grieve and we rejoice. That is what it means to be a part of the people of God. So let's pray together as we come to the Lord and His Word. Father, we, we, uh, we do grieve. We grieve with Pat as her loss of her brother and the family that is, that is grieving his life. We pray for, your, for her, for your hand, for your, your, your presence, uh, for your peace as she uh, remembers grieves, as she rejoices in the li- his life and her relationship with him. Pray for Bethany and her family as they're traveling. Give them safety, traveling mercies, but be with the family as they mourn the loss of her grandmother and someone that has been so impactful in her life. Would you be with them? There are others who are going through difficulties and trials in this room. I know stories this week of, of financial struggles that, that many are facing. Loss of job, marriages uh, on the rocks where it's, it's, it's difficult. God, that those struggling with um, their singleness and the places that you have them in life. Those uh, struggling with kids and those struggling with the desire to have kids that haven't had them or are not able to at this time. Those people that are hurting, that are facing difficulties. God, would you be near your people would use us as the community of faith to support and to encourage and to uplift one another. 
We thank you for good news. We thank you for the birth of Peter, Pete, Chapman, healthy delivery, for the life you've given, for those uh, others born recently. We thank you for the life that you bring. We thank you the life you bring in our midst as you bring new life and regeneration to those dry, dead bones. You bring to life the hearts of your people through the ministries that you allow us to serve in. I thank you that you are a resurrecting God. And now, God, we pray that our own souls today, wherever we may be, would find life and encouragement and resurrection hope as we come to your word, for we desperately need to hear from you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you rise as we hear God's word together? We are making our way in Ephesians. We read this passage last week. We'll read it again, and we'll cover a good chunk of it. This is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the supernatural forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness that given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, some of you know that great story, uh, the reformer Martin Luther, uh, he's nailed the 95 Theses, he is trying to reform the, the Catholic Church from within. Uh, as he writes more and more, it, sh- it demonstrates reform is probably not going to be possible. He is uh, under attack. He's brought in 521, uh, the Diet of Worms, where he's before not just the popes and councils of the church, but the Holy Roman Emperor as well. They're there. He is on trial. He stands before them. Some of you have seen the movies, if you haven't read the depictions, and Luther is brought before uh, both church and state, pressure on, stakes high, um, ask if these writings are his, which he's written, he says yes, ask if he uh, wants to recant these writings, and he says what? Let me think about it. (laughs) Can I have some time? This is important. They give him time. They give him, all right, one night tomorrow we come back. We'll resume the council. You will answer for these writings. So Luther goes back to his room as the story goes. You've seen it in in the movies maybe. And he wrestles all night with the devil. I was going to show the video clip. There was lots of language in the, the one video I was going to show you. He's cursing. He's screaming. He's under accusation. He's on the ground. He's flailing. He's pounding the walls. Being told of his worth, his value, 
being told uh, of his imminent death, if he stands up, the enemy, the devil, is attacking and he counters with Scripture. I am yours, Christ. I am yours. I belong to you. you. You hold me. You bind me. He's wrestling. He's on the ground. He's pounding the walls. Doesn't sleep. As you can imagine, the next day he comes before the council. Luther, are these your writings? They are. Do you recant these writings? And then he says those famous words. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant. Here I am. Here I stand. God, help me. Stakes were high. Luther felt the attack, the spiritual battle in that moment. Now, most of us are not attesting before councils. Most of us have not written extensively against the Roman Catholic Church or any church. You think, well, this is for particular people in history. The point is the battle is real, isn't it? The battle's real. This, this book, Ephesians, is well attested that the battle is real. There are spiritual forces at work, and not just for those who are trying to reform the church universal, but for those of us in our daily life. There's attacks, there's accusations, there's belief, there's unbelief. What are we going to stand on? How are we going to combat? this? Uh, we're going to, we went to verse 13 last week, verse 14, um, and following is uh, the application, but verse 14 starts with, therefore, stand, therefore. What was last week? We learned a couple things. We learned that we have an enemy that is supernatural and therefore stronger than us. So there is a power that's greater than us that we can't defeat in our own and we can't necessarily see him. But we also learned that God gives us the resources to be able to withstand and to fight against the supernatural force that's greater than us. So in ourselves, we're not able, but in His resources, we're able to fight and to stand. And that's the verb in verse 14. Stand, therefore. The next few verses we're going to go through, verse 17, are, are parts of the weaponry. They all flow from this verb, stand. Stand how? Put on this, put on that, do this and do that. There's six weapons that he mentions. Some of them are, are more offensive. Some of them are more, are more defensive. But they are parts of the Christian life that we are to put on in this supernatural battle that we are to stand our ground against the forces of evil and darkness. So we're going to look at them. So I want you to do this. Imagine you're at the doctor. We have a few of those here. And uh, you know he's, the doctor's doing the checklist of symptoms, right? The symptoms is not what he wants. He wants to address the symptom. He wants to address the, the heart. What's, un, what's the underlying cause? What's going on? But the symptoms get us there. Pull your checklist, these six. How are you doing with these six? Are you applying the weapons of warfare in the Christian life? And if not, we have to ask the question, do we, want, do we not know it's a war? Do we not think it's serious? Are we, are we lulled to sleep in this moment? So let's check off. How are we doing? this warfare, in this battle. First, stand therefore having fastened on the belt 
of truth. The first thing we're to do as Christians in this battle, this supernatural battle, is we're to, we're to put on the truth. We're to, we're to fasten the truths around us. Some say, older translation, gird up your loins. I didn't quite capture it because it's war. It's about, think about the, the, the police officer with that huge belt that's got all these tools and things, and they fasten it on, right? We put the belt around us. It keeps us in the truth. Truth. Now the truth, Paul uses the truth in a couple ways. He uses it like the truth or like the faith, meaning all of doctrine, all of belief. Are we in the truth? But he also uses it in the application of practical living out, honesty and morality and integrity. We live truthfully. And here, both are implied. Think about John chapter 8. John 8, 44, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and He says this to him. He says, You Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character for he is a liar and the truth and the father, and the father of lies. The devil's native tongue is lies, but why does he lie? Because he's a liar, right? He's in the lie, so he lives out lies. We are in the truth, and so we live out truth. We, we live with integrity and truthfulness and honesty as we move forward. To live in the truth. And what does that mean? It means we hold fast to the truth, the Word of God. Um... One of the things that I lament, and you should probably, is that we all know many people that have walked away from the truth, haven't we, recently? Um, to deconstruct your faith, uh, and there are things that we, we learn poorly, there are some things that need to be deconstructed, uh, but to, be, to deconstruct, that means to abandon the faith, to, to pull the, the yarn until we have nothing left is kind of in vogue, it's kind of popular. To leave the faith, whether it's suffering or trials or trauma or brokenness or uh, abuse or, or something, many of them are real and painful and difficult things, and yet they leave people to take the take the belt off and just say, "I'm done with that. I'll find my way somewhere else." Whether it's in my experience or feeling or something new age or um, we know that's true. Um, I, I'll just say from anecdotally, what I've witnessed, the fruit of that is not good. People don't deconstruct to something better and find a great life-giving thing. They deconstruct to an aimlessness, a purposelessness. Expressive individualism can only take you so far. You have to have something. I mean, if, I, if we took, some of us took our belts off, our pants would fall down, right? <laughs> Belt serves a purpose. Well, we don't have it. We're not girded. We're not fastened we're not together we need to be a place to wrestle with the truth we need to be a safe place where we can ask questions and talk about things that are hard right we need to do that with one another this is not saying we can't question healthy questioning is good but to abandon the truth Christian it's fruitless even worse it's destructive because well truth is True. And to deny it leads to more fragmentation and to chaos. 
The enemy would want us to leave the truth. Don't be deceived. Fasten yourself in the truth. Second, he says, the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the second weapon or or armor is this breastplate. It would go over, it would cover your front and the back, the core. I love Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 depicts the evil of man and then it displays God Himself or the Messianic figure as the divine warrior fully equipped for battle. Uh, Jerry read some of this. Listen to this. He put on, that's, that's this divine warrior, this messianic figure against evil. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So what's used in the Old Testament imagery of God, the divine warrior, is now used for you, Christian, in your battle against the, the, the evil, the world, the struggle. We said last week, it is the armor of God. It's His armor. It belongs to Him. Um, I remember, uh, Dwayne, you may remember this, when we, uh, we, uh, we, we sit the summer with college students in, I don't know, 20 years ago in Mexico. We were there for two months, and we were working on a college campus and working in the community, and uh, we did a lot of sports, uh, sports camps. And so I went around to, to local high schools and got used equipment. So I said, hey, you got any extra gloves or bats or cleats or jerseys? And so it was kind of funny seeing these, uh, you know, Mexican kids running around with St. Paul's jerseys on and, you know, you know, Murphy High Panthers shorts on. And they had all this, it was, it was borrowed equipment that we took and now these kids were playing with it in, in Mexico. Um, that's, uh, they were hand-me-downs. Um, this breastplate we're talking about, it's barred equipment. It is Christ's righteousness, his moral purity and perfection that he has now given to us. It's, it, but, it's, but it's not ratty equipment. It's not, it's not secondhand in that way. It's not deficient. This isn't, uh, what's the, it's not Facebook Marketplace where you buy your kids some cheap cleats, right? Because you know they keep growing, you've got to buy a new pair. This is the righteousness of Christ. He says, Christian, it's yours put it on. We put it on to protect the core, our being, your chest, your heart. You're guarded with this righteousness. Uh, Romans 3.21 talks about our sin and says we, first he says, uh, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. It's an alien righteousness we talk about that's been given to us just to protect us front and back. Put it on. One of the tactics of the accuser, the evil one, is that he calls into question our status before God, doesn't he? He calls into question your righteousness. He calls into question um, your failures. Or you live all your own righteousness, your success, and your bank account, and your, your privileges, and all the things you have. You begin to live in this righteousness, or you begin to live in your failures and your struggles. You know, we are defined by Christ. What is it that's central to you as a person's 
You know, philosophers talk about essence. What's essence? What is who we are? We are new identity defined by Christ in his righteousness. Put it on. Name that. That's what we can claim. It's ours. It's his breastplate. And he gave it to you. Righteousness of Christ. How are we doing? Belt, you got it on? Truth, righteousness. Third, shoes of the gospel. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness by the gospel of peace. This third weapon is more offensive than defensive. It's we got to get the, the boots on to go into battle. And, and we're, not, we're not wearing flip-flops. We're going to the beach. And we're not putting on the dress shoes. Right? If you know anything about history, you know in, in multiple battles, I think of World War uh, I, trench warfare, right? Some of you know the, the infamous trench foot. Uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of soldiers died because what? They didn't have the right shoes on. You're in trenches. It's wet. It's cold, right? You've you, you got gangrene and infection and frostbite and whatever else happens medically, I don't know, and people get infections and they would die, like thousands of them died because they didn't have the right shoes on. Those that did well had better boots. We have to put on, put on the shoes of the gospel. This is a, uh, as we're being attacked, we're also sending in truth. It's a counteroffensive. We're, we're being attacked, but we're going, but this idea of readiness means get ready. Put the boots on. We're going in. We're going with, what are we going with? We're going with the gospel of peace. That's interesting, right? We're thinking about battle. We're thinking about war. And it tells us we're to take on the enemy with a message of peace. That's interesting, isn't it? Don't fight the way the world fights. Isaiah 59 again how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who, who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. We go behind enemy lines with the gospel boots on. And we tell people, you can be reconciled with God. You don't have to be enslaved and in bondage. You don't have to live for all of that stuff. You can denounce sin and throw it upon Christ and His righteousness. Romans 10, 14 says the same thing. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Listen, uh, Christian, as we're called together, the kingdom of God is to advance. And it advances as we prepare ourselves with the gospel and we move out into the world. And some of that will be uh, across the world. Some of y'all will, will take the gospel to, to Indonesia, and we'll pray for you, and we'll encourage you, and we'll support you financially, and we'll go. And some of you will go across the street, down the road, to the health clinic, to the office. But don't go unprepared. Go ready. You are a witness in the world. We gather to scatter. We come, re rehearse the gospel story, and then go. Go, don't come to church six days a week. Go, go to your neighborhood. Go, but take the gospel with you. This is offensive. We're attacking. We're on mission. And it doesn't have to be rah-rah. It's not just 
You know, we're not all on the, we're not on the street corner screaming and yelling. It may be in healthcare. It may be in coaching. It may be in counseling. It may be in staying at home with kids. But don't be unaware. Don't be lulled to sleep like this is not a battle. Go with the mindset of the war. To demonstrate mercy and compassion and care. One of the things we have to keep in mind, I think this is so important, I think this has been a part of us as a church plant starting, is that um, we go to people in this war, but the people we're with that don't know Christ, maybe some in this room, they're not our enemy. That's the whole, it's not against flesh and blood, we did last week, but against principalities. And Katie and I don't know where we got this, maybe a, a book or marriage conference, we newly got married, but they taught us, and we do this sometimes, when we get in arguments, we're disagreeing, some, one of us says, hey, hey, I, I'm not your enemy. <laughs> right? In marriage, you start turning like this, and you're like, and you're like whoa, 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 hang on a second. You're shooting, we're on the same team. And then we get to come together and say, we still got to deal with this issue, but the enemy's over there. Our neighbors that don't know Christ, your coworkers, and you're appalled by their lifestyle, and you can't believe, they're not your enemy. There's a power behind, they may, they may hate you, <laughs> they may be opposed to you, but there's a power at work in the forces in the world, right? We talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. They are not your enemy. The gospel of peace you have, give it to them. Share it. Word and indeed. How are we doing? Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes, gospel, force, shield of faith, shield of faith. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, he won't let us get away with this idea of peacetime. For you to embrace this, you have to begin with a starting point. Do you believe there are flaming darts at you? Not just Martin Luther and really important spiritual people, do you realize as a Christian there are, at some level, I'm not saying Satan's behind every bush, but he's behind some of them, that there are flaming darts and arrows. At you. Do you believe that? That is not a popular thing to believe in our current moment. We are far too sophisticated to believe that. That's true. That's what the Scripture says. So what do we do? We take up the shield of faith Shield of faith is shield is protection. Genesis 15, when God calls Abram, he says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear the language, the Lord is a shield for all who take refuge in him. And, and this shield here, Paul's referencing, think Roman shield. Don't think like the little handheld, you know, it's like Captain America's got the little circle thing, you know. That's not the shield we're talking about. The shield is like, in the Roman, it's like a door. It's like, go take that door off the hinge. It's rectangular, it's huge, and you hold it up and you get behind it. And every part of you is covered, right? That's what a shield is. It's heavy. It's like, boom, I'm hidden. Dart's coming, can't get me, right? I'm behind the shield. The Lord is our shield. And in uh, Roman days, and in, you know, even they did this with cities, they would, they would cover the shields with some type of animal skins or hides. Because if the sword had, was wood or, or, or city walls had timbers, what the, the flaming arrows, right? Arrows with fire would what? They would 
would catch on fire. They would drape them with these hides and it would, it would hit and boom, fire would be extinguished. They're protected. That's the imagery here. They'll take your door off the hinges and stand behind it. Shield. What kind of shield? It's a shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting in God's provision, in His care, in His power, in His sovereignty, in His goodness. Arrows are coming that are calling into question every day. The bill, the bank, the struggle, your kids, your health, your marriage, your parents. Every day they're coming at you and they're, they're, they're tempting you to question the goodness of God in your life and His faithfulness, right? Your experience, what you see. This doesn't work out for me. It's never going to happen. One thing after another. You just grab that door and just sling it right there. Faith. God is our shield. He says here, in all circumstances, and I think that is very personal. Some of you, some of us, we have faith in certain areas and we struggle in others, right? We have faith with, with our health, but we struggle with finance. As soon as we hear something financially, we go into chaos and we, we're afraid. Or our kids, right? Aren't we afraid? Are our kids going to turn out? Our grandkids? We live by faith in this one area. We start talking about that and we just get in a panic and anxiety attack inside. Or, or maybe adults, your parents that are aging, we're we're scared to death of the news or their struggle or what they're going through. And we abandon faith. Look, if we believe it's a war, there will be temptation to doubt and to question and fear. Pick up the shield of faith. What are these darts? Clinton Arnold says this, The fiery darts come in the form of evil thoughts in your mind of the believer. But also they come in form of persecution from political authorities. Thoughts of accusations of sin that bring intense feelings of guilt. In Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. False teaching by those who claim to be Christians. Listen to this. He says, direct demon attack through sickness and dreams. And temptations to engage in behavior displeasing to God. Basically, everything we struggle with some way is tied to a fiery dart. Take the shield of faith. Stand firm. Two more. Helmet of salvation, number five. Take up the helmet of salvation. With all the arrows, all the darts coming, right? We're, we're covered here down, but what? We're not covered here. Our thoughts, our mind, the brain. Romans had those big helmets of Bronze or iron, they were put on, you know, you, you're, you almost couldn't keep it up. You know, it's, it's heavy, but it protects. If you, if you peek above that shield, you know, you're covered, <laughs> you're protected. Salvation, forces of darkness. What does salvation mean? Sometimes you read commentaries and you, you kind of laugh, and then some, some of them expose the silliness. There's an argument, is this salvation talking about something past or present? Like, we've been forgiven in the past, we've been broken the bonds of evil, we've been adopted to God's family, put that on, remember that. Or is it talking about future, that one day we will be fully completing Christ, and our salvation fully realized, and the new heavens and new earth, and there'll be no more sin. And it's like, some commentators will be like, hey fellows, yes, <laughs> yes, salvation is past, 
We're forgiven. We're in the family. In the present, we struggle. We're saved, being saved right now. Apply it. Salvation. Put it on your thoughts. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 talks about taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. Put it on now. There are lofty arguments. The deconstruction thing I talked about, arguments have come in and we've entertained them and we've bought them. We didn't have the helmet on. Salvation is not just past, it's not just present. The best is yet to come, it's future. It's complete. There's no no enemy, He's, he's eradicated. There's no sin at all. We're in Christ, we're secure. We're in Him. Salvation, past, present, and future. Wear the helmet of salvation. Think thoughts after God. And finally, finally, sword of the Spirit. Verse 17. And take up, that he bars that verb from the phrase before, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the Scripture. And the Word of God is both offensive and defensive. It is a time where we attack the sword, but sometimes when you're attacking what? They're attacking too? So you're heading somewhere, you're on mission, but you're fighting off. I don't know if I should do a sword, that kind of looks cheesy. But I don't know, you will do it, I don't know how you do that. But I'll just stay in my lane. But you're fighting with the sword, <laughs> things are coming at you, but you're also attacking. Like, we're getting the hill, we're taking that form. Scripture, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not withstand against the kingdom of God. Like, we're not passive in the, in the corner, little lambs, you know, singing with harps. Right? And we don't have little water guns. Pew, pew, you know. Like, we're like, let's do it. We're, let's go. And as we go, we're being attacked. I'm sure I'm going to get made fun of by my kids for whatever I just... But as we're going, we're going to be attacked. It's offensive. It's defensive. Listen to Peter O'Brien says this. Uh, speaking about offensive, the faith... What is the sword of the Spirit? It's the faithful speaking of the gospel in the realm of darkness... So that men and women held by Satan might hear this liberating and life-giving word and be freed from its grasp. Have you thought about your life like that? We're so afraid of evangelism. Oh, I don't want to step on toes. I don't want to say the wrong thing. What are people going to think? Life-giving message by those that are held in bondage to Satan. Does that change how you think about it? Get over ourselves. We have the gospel. We have the word of God. Use it. But also, it's uh, defensive. Jesus taught us this, didn't he, in the, in, the de- in the desert? Forty days, forty nights, his body is weak, he's frail, he's exhausted. And the tempter comes, Satan comes to him. Gives him the promises of the whole world. It can all be yours. Just follow me, just bow down to me, just acknowledge me. Jesus doesn't, what does he do? Three times, pulls the sword out. All three quotes are interesting from Deuteronomy. Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan tempts again. Again, I say, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. A third time, Satan tempts Jesus. Jesus says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Forty days fasting in the wilderness. Depleted. What is what is? The Son of God offered the Word of God. And the next verse says, Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. He fought off 
the evil one. Like Martin Luther in that story, he fought his way through the flaming arrows, the darts, with the Word of God. Scripture. Sword, offense, defense. We take up... Sometimes it's alarming how much we try to do ministry without the Word of God, the Bible. Of what use is that? Of what use are my words or your words apart from being rooted in the Scripture? They're not. Six weapons. How'd you do? You applying them? Kids, you want a, you want a battle? You want something that matters? I, uh, you know, as we conclude, um, I just ask you, what, what story are you living in? Because if, 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 you, if you're not living in the biblical story, what I've shared the last two weeks about this spiritual battle is either, like, ridiculous or, like, way overkill. Like, drama. Nobody wants to be the drama guy, right? It's like, dude, come on, chill out. You're screaming and yelling, talking about warfare. And, and yet I watched college football yesterday, and I'm a college football fan. And just, just take note. It's a battle out there, boys. We've got to fight to the death. Blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, right, we're, we're armor. We're, like, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of leather. I mean, really? You know what I mean? Like, dramatic? At our house, we have this thing where we're always like, we scale things, and we're like, kids are kind of fired up, and we're like, okay, that's a two, not a ten, right? Maybe it's a four, it's not a ten. Let's just, just de-escalate here. There are some tens, right? College football's great, competition's great, I played, that's great. It's like, a, it's a one or two, it's a sport, it's entertainment, that's great. Take it serious, but it's one or two. This is a ten, right? Jesus didn't die because this was dramatic. Sin had us in bondage. We were enslaved. We were bound to him. Our hearts loved that which is evil and wrong. And he rescued us, not by doing a few good things or writing a book or this or that. He gave his life for us. He died for us. Get our priorities right. It's not dramatic. It's what the scripture tells us. Let's make... Football, let's make life what it's supposed to be, and let's make the battle what it's supposed to be. We can still be normal people in everyday life and be kind and loving and do your job, but take serious that this is real. Paul just gave us a book, six chapters about this, and most of chapter six is about the spiritual battle. Let's not be lulled to sleep, Christians. Put on the full armor of God. If not, you're being lulled asleep and you're being pulled in a direction away from him. There is no neutrality. No Switzerland here. <laughs> what side are we on? If we're on the side of the Lord, let's engage the way he's told us to engage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you that it is uh, life-giving. It is serious that, God, you love laughter and joy, but we laugh in the face of evil because we know there's an evil one that loves to kill, steal, and destroy. He is like a roaring lion out to devour us, and that's not hyperbole. We see it. We see, we see friends. We see uh, kids. We see turning and moving away 
It began in the mind. It began in the heart. It began when we were unarmored. When we were lax. When we took a break. When we didn't want to be too spiritual. Oh God, may we not fall prey to that. 